Hey friends, welcome back to the Journal Feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and I have recovered pretty much entirely from COVID, so that's good. And we'll get on to this week's articles. We try to make keeping up with the literature as easy as possible, and so that's why we're here to spoon feed you directly through your earbuds. Let's take a look at everything that we're going to be covering from this week, and this week it's all about fluids. So grab a drink and let's get into it. First, fluid restriction in the ICU. Second, boluses in babies. Third, the top 10 tips for vasopressor use. After that, a reanalysis of the basics trial. And then we end it all off with the prepare to trial boluses to keep you out of trouble post intubation. Now, if you're hearing this, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber, and so you're not going to get the full podcast. You're just going to get a portion of the last week's articles. Don't worry. I picked the really good ones just for you guys. But if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and the blog, then you'll have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org, where we never want money to be a barrier to patient care. So just please reach out. We've helped other people. We can help you, too. This is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were brought to you by the lucky Seth Walsh-Blackmore, Ernie Hanna, Aaron Lacey, Gabby Leonard, and Clay Smith. Okay, let's jump over to the third article. Now, this was titled 10 Tips to Optimize Vasopressor Use in Critically Ill Patients with Hypotension out of the Journal of Intensive Care Medicine. Hypotension is bad, and that's just all there is to it. Let's do our typical clickbait YouTube-style checklist of the top 10 ways to bring your vasopressor game to the top. First tip, set goals for either the MAP or the diastolic pressure. You need MAP to perfuse your organs. Of course, this is important, but a diastolic pressure is important for coronary perfusion. So decide which one is most important or relevant in this case, in your case. Second, individualize your target pressures. A MAP of 65 is a good target for pretty much all comers, even if that patient is normally hypertensive at baseline. But then you have to check up on markers of perfusion, like urine output, cap refill, mental status. If those are lacking, then you might want to increase that MAP target. Third, a little appreciated fact, vasopressors recruit endogenous fluid. This increases systemic vascular resistance, which increases endogenous fluid recruitment into circulation, which will increase venous return and thus cardiac output. All right, tip number four. Once you've started pressors, reassess the fluid status and the cardiac output of your patient. You have changed something fundamentally about your patient and how they're reacting to things. Make sure that they still are where you think they are. Tip number five. If your first agent isn't enough, try something new which means try something with a different mechanism of action. If norepi isn't enough, then most commonly you move to vasopressin as an add-on, which has a completely different mechanism. Another new agent which is coming down the pipes is angiotensin II. Tip number six. Speaking of adjuncts, consider hydrocortisone if you're using high doses of vasopressors. This can decrease the vasopressor need and especially useful in patients with multi-organ failure. Seven, consider inotropes of vasopressin for right ventricular failure. There are no V1 receptors in the pulmonary vasculature, so vasopressin doesn't raise the pulmonary resistance. Adding norepinephrine will give the right heart a little bit of inotropic support, though. Tip number eight, there is no maximum dose for vasopressors. You heard me, there is no maximum dose. So go wild if that's what your patient needs. Might want to double check that you can't optimize everything else first, though. Nine, you can indeed feed patients on low doses of vasopressors. These authors actually suggest enteral feeding for norepinephrine doses less than 0.3 micrograms per kg per minute. 
Um, but do be careful with high doses of vasopressors. Tip number 10, vasopressors are safe through peripheral lines, so never delay giving pressors to get a central line. Start the pressors and get that line later. In a spoonful, that's it. Those are our top 10 tips from this article on vasopressor use. All right, and that brings us to the fourth article, and this is a good one. The association between type of fluid received prior to enrollment, type of admission, and the effect of balanced crystalloid in critically ill patients out of the American Journal of Respirology and Critical Care Medicine. Now, when the SMART and the SALT-ED trials came out, and they showed decreased major adverse kidney events when balanced fluids were used compared to normal saline, well, this got a lot of people pretty passionate about which fluids were the best fluids. Following that, we had two major RCTs that came out showing no difference, and that cooled things off a little bit. We give a lot of fluids, though. If there is a difference, then an aggregate is going to matter. How about we take a second look at one of the most recent trials, the BASIC RCT. So the BASIC trial was based in Brazil, and it was looking at ICU patients who were receiving either plasmolite or normal saline, and to see if there was an effect on 90-day mortality or major adverse kidney events. They found no effect, which was the same for the big Australian plus RCT. So why did two high-quality trials show a difference and two didn't? Well, what's the difference? In the SMART and SALT-ED trials, which were positive, fluid choice started in the emergency department and continued this fluid coordination everywhere in the hospital, even in the operating room. For the negative trials, the BASICs and plus RCTs, the fluid selection was only in the ICU itself. Early fluids matter. Here we have a secondary analysis of the BASICs trial, and this one incorporated the fluids that were received prior to enrollment. As you might expect, most patients, 68%, received fluids prior to enrollment. I don't know how you get to the ICU without receiving any fluids at all, but whatever. For patients that received only balanced fluids prior to enrollment, there is a probability of benefit in 90-day mortality of 0.92, which is actually pretty high. They also looked at the effect of whether admission was planned, unplanned, or unplanned because of sepsis, and the probability of benefit was again higher if this was an unplanned admission for sepsis or all planned admissions. So now we have a little bit of a different story from the BASICS trial, and the results look a lot more like the SMART trial. This shows benefit to balanced fluids. Honestly, once you've given three, four, five liters of fluids over the course of an admission, it might not matter anymore which fluid you give. But for initial resuscitation, there is reason to believe that the fluid choice does matter then. This is also a lesson in making sure that the pre-specified analysis that is done for trials is really the one that we want to see. Because this is just a reanalysis of a paper, and that's never going to be as strong evidence. In a spoonful, a secondary analysis of the basic trial changes the tune of the study entirely, now favoring balanced fluids so long as they're receiving those balanced fluids for the entire hospital, say, and not just in the ICU. All right, this was actually a fun week. I liked Fluids Week. Let's do this again. Let's do our wrap-up, though. So what did we learn this week? Well, from the third article, we did a whole bunch of tips. We did 10 tips on how to use vasopressors. From the fourth article, the BASICS trial pulled a switcheroo on us, and balanced fluids are back in the winner's circle for reducing mortality and adverse kidney events so long as the initial fluids given are also balanced fluids. 
All right, that's it. Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org, where the newsletter is the best place to make the podcast into a bite-sized nugget of space repetition. Now, if you're feeling some FOMO, if you feel like you missed out, you'd like to hear more, well, you can always join us over in the members feed. Our goal here is to provide better patient care through spoon feeding, and so we're trying to help you keep up with the latest research one spoonful at a time. Thank you.